massive part of the SEN Test Cricket commentary team. And this is why we love him as a commentator as much as we loved him as a player because as a player, he was hard-nosed. He, he did the hard work. He was as tough as nails and he always put his body on the line and he put himself on the line. And he's doing it again today after catching the red eye. Back from Perth, he's been good enough to jump on the line with us. Simon Kadich after Australia has a 360-run win in the first test in Perth. Mate, hello to you. How are you feeling? Yeah, no, I've been a bit vague today, but uh, no, my <laughs> pleasure. I'm happy to help out. It's, uh, yeah, certainly not putting my body on the line, but uh, probably more <laughs> so my train of thought after catching that red eye. I may have put a little bit of mayo on it, Cat, but... Um, yeah. So, in the wash-up, what's your summation of the first test? There's a heap of stuff to get through, and we'll go through each of them specifically, but just overall, how did you see the first test? Oh, I thought it was a very clinical performance by Australia. I think, you know, once they got ascendancy on day one, and, and that was through the opening partnership with Warner and Kawaja, I think, you know, as we saw this wicket unfold and it opened up with the cracks and get harder to score on, and then also, as you mentioned earlier, like there's there were body blows and... and you know, guys getting hit, and that would have played on the Pakistanis' mind. If, if they're seeing, you know, Steve Smith and Labashain and Kawaja getting hit, who are very experienced players in these conditions and know how to handle the pace and bounce, then there would have been, you know, some few a few nervous Pakistan batsmen in that camp um, before that second inning. So it was no surprise when they did get rolled yesterday because um, Test Cricket's such a mental game. And what they would have witnessed over that day and a bit beforehand, uh, seeing the wicket play the way it did, um, yeah, you know, it would have been hard work for them mentally. But saying that, I thought it was a very good test wicket because it's what we've come to expect of playing test cricket in Perth. Back in the day, it was at the Wacker when that used to crack up. Um, and now it's at Perth Stadium where Australia have a real advantage. They're 100% there, four from four. And um, it's something that, you know, will be discussed moving forward when they look at the scheduling for India next year and, and the Ashes the year after. You mentioned we saw players sort of getting badged here, there and everywhere, even off some sort of medium pace, sort of low 120s deliveries. We saw Brisbane get a a copper penalty from the ICC last year in that South African test. Is there any danger that this Perth wicket might come under a little bit of scrutiny as well? Mark Ward said he didn't want to call it dangerous, but I think he called it treacherous, Uh, the, the pitch. Was it a little bit too far to the unpredictable, or do you think, no, no, nothing to see here? No, I, I just think having seen it all firsthand, you know, at the Wacker back in the day in yeah. the 90s when it was quick and bouncy and cracked up and having played plenty of shield cricket there and, and test cricket there, I mm. think, you know, people for a long time were complaining about test wickets being too flat and boring draws. And now we're seeing some really, you know, interesting tests, particularly here in Australia with, you know, the drop-ins at Adelaide have been excellent. And, and obviously Melbourne now has got, you know, more grass on it, so we're seeing a little bit more life early in the test. But these are all still very good surfaces to bat on, and I think Australian batsmen proved that. Um, they were still able to get runs. Yes, a few of them took body blows, but, you know, the other part of this too is is that if the bowler doesn't have something to work to or work with, then it can make it a really one-sided game. And I think you just got to be careful about how we deem some of these wickets because, you know, for the bulk of this test, it played really well until obviously the cracks got wider and um, in this last sort of probably day, it, it started to obviously, you know, be harder to bat on. But, um, you know, there's a few times guys probably took their eye off the ball, but ultimately there were some balls there that were hard to obviously play because they, they bounced off a length and um, there's not much you can do about it. But that's the challenge of playing, you know, test cricket in the West. It always has been. And 
you know, hopefully that will be the case moving forward, providing that, you know, no one gets seriously injured. I'm going to try and go negative, positive, negative, positive. So I've started with a negative that some people have had about maybe the pitch was a little bit too unpredictable. Thank you for answering that one. The positive, well, let's talk about Nathan Lyon. I mean, I don't know if there's a better rags to riches story in cricket. We had Chuck Berry on before, who was the coach of South Australia when they pulled him off the, the roller and got him bowling some balls and found a way to get him a state contract and to become the third Australian and the eighth cricketer internationally all time to take 500 wickets. It's just extraordinary, extraordinary story. How did you feel watching it all unfold, a guy that you've played with and know? Well, actually, unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to play with him. I oh, that's right. Because I, I love the way he goes about it. He, he debuted pretty much after I was um, cast aside. So, yeah, in terms of... Um, yeah, I played a shield game against him, so I didn't get to see him a huge amount firsthand. But you know, I'm really proud of him. Mm. Um, I've sort of gotten to know him a little bit over the years, having chats with him around the grounds and, and the odd beer from here to there. But you know, I just love the way he's gone about it. You know, he should be really, really proud of what he's achieved because he's up there with the all-time greats of not only Australian cricket but with the game. I think he's what eight full-time now or something like that. So, mm. um, and he's got plenty more in the tank, and I think that's probably the blessing in disguise from the injury in, in the ashes is that he's gone away. He mentioned that he watched the AFL grand final and the NRL grand final and saw how good a spectacles they were and thought, you know, I want to be a part of this with the Australian test team for much longer. And I think because he's only really playing one form of the game now, I think that will give him good longevity because um, he's so good at, at test level. He complements this attack so well. They're all good mates. They're achieving remarkable things together. This last 12 months has been outstanding. Bar losing in India, um, you know, they've, they've achieved some remarkable things as a unit and I think they're hungry for more. So, yeah, he's a remarkable cricketer. He's done it with sheer hard work and persistence and, and his belief. That's one thing that's always tested at, at international level is, you know, he had some demons to overcome, particularly in the subcontinent, and he did that, mm. I think, back in... Uh, the tour in 2017. I think he got eight for in Bangalore in the second test. And I remember being there covering it for SCN. And it was quite remarkable um, conditions that he performed in. And, and I think once he got over the demons of, of playing well in India, his career has gone from strength to strength. Yeah, and I don't think it's any coincidence that once he gets injured uh, over in England, um, it changed the course of, I think, Australia's trajectory, one of the contributing factors, but a massive one. It was McGrath in 05 uh, for, for mine. I mean, that's the impact that, that he can have and uh, the influence that, that he can have. Is it having this chat before and even saying the words, it just felt almost counterintuitive. It just felt like almost incomprehensible. But Pat Cummins thinks that, that Nathan Lyon can go on for another four to five years. I brought up Warney's test average of wickets was 4.88 per test. Nathan Lyon averages 4.08. We could be having this conversation in a few years' time, Cat, saying that, oh, you know, Nathan Lyon, Australia's greatest ever wicket-taker. Incredible. I wouldn't be backing, yeah, I wouldn't be backing against Cumho and, and Nathan Lyon. Um, they know better than anyone how he's travelling and where he's at. And he, everything that's coming out of his mouth at the moment suggests that, you know, he's got plenty of fire in the belly to keep going and to keep achieving things with this group. And, I mean, it's no disrespect to Todd Murphy uh, at all because, you know, he came in and did a good job in India. Um, and then, you know, yes, he played in, in the Ashes and, and probably didn't bowl as much as he might have liked it in that Headingley test when Lyon first got injured. But he's a good young cricketer, and I think, you know, even if it means he has to wait a few years 
then he'll be better for that playing you know playing his tri- uh, trade in, in shield cricket and maybe county cricket but I think it just highlights the difference in experience uh, and and we're potentially talking about Todd Murphy in you know another five ten years time having done some amazing things just mm. like Nathan Lyon has so it, it's just one of those things where yeah, his experience was sorely missed because he's had you know plenty of time in England before learning his craft there and knowing how to bowl in those conditions, and and that's something that uh, Todd Murphy will continue to get experience with. And maybe uh, Corey Rocchiccioli coming through the ranks as well is doing some good things. But on the negative, Simon Cadditch only nine thousand or just under ten thousand there to see him um, take that history-making wicket uh, as a man who. Um, is from WA and and played your, your shield cricket um, for a while there and 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 obviously you know it'd be close to your heart. How, were you disappointed in the crowds that turned up? Average of fourteen thousand per day, highest of seventeen, lowest of yeah the day four yesterday, just under ten. Look, I was probably only disappointed with the crowd yesterday, but I also understand why because mm. the game was pretty much you know everyone knew what the result was given the way the wicket was starting to deteriorate with the cracks and I think that's probably where I don't know if that's the full reason I can't speak for the public in Perth but it just felt like once the the results sort of pretty much known you know had people got other things that they want to do on a Sunday and um, given that's getting close to Christmas and then all of that I mean I don't know how the tickets are priced so I can't comment whether that's a factor um, because we know there's you know there's big cost of living uh, squeeze at the moment uh, everywhere with inflation mm. everything, and it's, yep. it's Christmas time so that that's that, that could be part of it I don't know but um, yeah the first few days were pretty good I think the atmosphere was good and, and you know I think they were getting decent crowds but uh, yeah I think yesterday was disappointing purely because it would have been nice for Nathan Lyon to be in front of a, uh, a bigger bigger crowd yeah I, I found the commentary around David Warner really interesting um, when the he got that 164 in the first innings and a fantastic knock and like a lot of knocks yes it comes with some luck but sometimes you make your own as well couldn't have done any more than what he did the commentary around he silenced his critics I, I thought was interesting because I don't think it was critics as much as it was just a question around apart from maybe a couple of uh, more notable ones and we don't need to reheat that soup but for most, I reckon the question was, well, had he done enough over the last three years to still be there and to still maybe get the, and there are no guarantees we know, but to, to maybe have the farewell in Sydney. So it was more of a question about, well, should he have, should he actually be selected? Not so much critical of, of him, but whatever it might have been, he did what he needed to do. What was your take on Dave Warner's performance and all the conversations around it? Yeah, no, it's a good question. I mean, I, I sort of spoke about it on day one before the 100 was made and we were obviously discussing the whole lead-in with it all and, and what Mitch's comments were. Mm. And, and look, I think, you know, the, the public and Mitch, the, the sentiment was there because of his performances over the last sort of year to two years. Yeah. And his, his averages dropped. And um, But I think, you know, what was more relevant was this, this conversation was probably more relevant um, last year when before the Indian series and before England, because there were two tours and two venues that he's never made a test hundred in and had struggled averaging probably 20 on each. So that was the question that probably got answered by the selectors then. And the fact that he was picked for those two, two tours meant that I think he was always going to play in Australia because his record in Australia is outstanding, averaging over 58 
Um, and we, we saw in this test how good he is in Australian conditions, even with his back up against the wall with all the scrutiny. He was able to go out there, block that out, and, and put on a masterclass on what was a tricky wicket on day mm. one. Yes, Pakistan were inexperienced, and they probably you know erred with their line and length a lot of the day. However, he, because of the way he plays and because he's so proactive with reading you know the lengths and lines and all of that in his footwork, he was able to counter what Pakistan were trying to do to him at varying stages and basically, you know, nullify that and, and score off some quickly. So, look, I, I think it was, yeah, probably more a case of that should have been raised probably more earlier last year. And he, and he probably knocked that on the head when he got the double hundred at Boxing Day. And then that's probably why he ended up getting the nod to go to India and the, and the UK. And he did OK, but, but once again, wasn't able to get test hundreds in either um, series. So... I think now it's all been put to bed and, and he'll get to finish in Sydney uh, as he rightly deserves. Uh, talking to SEN Test Cricket, Simon Cadditch. Cat, Dave Warner's in and of himself a really interesting question about a guy who is is in the conversation for our best three-format batter of all time. He's in the conversation, top three openers of all time, yet a divisive figure in, in terms of the public. And, and overall, this team, Simon O'Donnell asked Ian Healy this this morning on SEN Breakfast, why is this team and some of the individuals in it taking away the obvious of Sandpaper Gate? Why aren't they getting the love and the flowers that maybe they should, given all that they've achieved, especially in the last 12 months? It, 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 do you feel that, that, that the public sentiment doesn't maybe match the output? Yeah, look, it's, I, I dare say a big part of it is from what happened in, in Cape Town. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's always probably going to be people that, you know, that's going to linger forever and they're not going to forgive them for that. Mm. And, I, and I understand that because what they did, you know, was wrong. Yep. Um, and they, you know, they did their time. And then there's the other sentiment, which is, you know, everyone makes mistakes in life and people deserve second chances. And that's yeah. where I think a lot of us realise that, you know, you have to have that sort of mindset because we all make mistakes and it was a massive one and they paid the ultimate price. I mean, David Warner never got a chance to captain uh, Australia and, and he's done that in franchise cricket and done it very well. So... Uh, Steve Smith, he, he has captained again when Pat Cummins has missed test matches but, or ODIs, but, you know, he's forever got that um, uh, legacy in a way and had the job and, and then lost it. So, And then Cameron Bancroft, mm. you know, there's talk about him coming back into the team, but he hasn't been able to do that yet. So he's paid the ultimate price as well. So, look, it's, it depends how you view it. Everyone's going to have different opinions on it. Yes, he's been polarising, but I think, I don't think there's an argument around him, you know, being our... Uh, best ever opener in all three formats purely because he's played the most of the T20 international format. And that's mm-hmm. how he started his career. Some of the greats that have come before ha- probably didn't have that same opportunity to play as much T20 because of the, when it started. But yeah, Test cricket's probably a little bit different because he, he never was able to, um, you know, conquer the the heights of India and, and the in England with hundreds there. And his and his home record is far superior to his away record. So that's always going to be the question there around test cricket about being a great, but I think the way he's gone about it and played across all three formats in a tough role, um, you know, he's been amazing. And then the big thing is the way he's gone about it is he's been aggressive and taken the game on to help set uh, Australia up. Cat, I'm going to give you a platform here before we let you go uh, to maybe uh, speak publicly on behalf of all openers who might be waiting in the wings. This is one of our very, very fine openers. Uh, average of 45, 10 centuries, 25 half centuries in your 56 test career. We're having conversation at the moment where we're trying to recreate uh, a middle order 
or lower order or middle order batter into an opener instead of picking an established opener like a Cam Bancroft who's been averaging, I think, around 50 in the last couple of years and topping the Shield run scorers table, Matty Renshaw, Marcus Harris. On behalf of all openers, do you feel slightly aggrieved that this conversation is taking place? Are we disrespecting the next in line by trying to reinvent the wheel here? Oh, well, no, because the reason I've, I've sort of said it in, in the last few days over the test match and been asked about it is the fact that, you know, there's times where, and Andrew McDonald sort of alluded to this last week, is mm. that, you know, there will be a discussion around whether and who the best six batsmen in Australia are. And that comes down to, you know, technique, mentally, their first class record, their form and all of that. And I think that's why that question has sort of um, gone down that path, because, you know, when you look at it, and I said this the other day on air, is that Cameron Green, in my mind, is a superior player to those other guys you mentioned. And his first-class numbers um, back that up. I think he's, he's averaging first-class cricket's over 46, whereas the others are all sort of high 30s. And I know it's a different role, but he, he has played his best cricket for WA, batting at four, and he's still mm. only a kid. So, um, And the other part of this, and this is what Andrew McDonald alluded to, he said it's happened before in Australian cricket where... You know, David Boone was a three, became an opener. Shane Watson did the same. I was the same in, in that I got an opportunity to open, but I'd never really done much of it at first-class level. You can you can adapt, and I was fortunate that I'd spent a lot of time at batting in the top order at three or four, so I was accustomed to facing new balls in uh, first-class cricket. So for me, it was just a change right. of mindset right. rather than yep. technique. So it can be done, and I think Watto proved that as well. He played his best cricket opening the batting, even though he'd hardly done it. There's another uh, one. First-class cricket. So it, it, it's to me, it, it, it's got to be around the player and if that player can adapt to that role. And I think Cameron Green can, purely because it takes a mindset shift to say, well, OK, I'm going to be walking out there. I know exactly when I'm walking out the bat, so I don't waste nervous energy sitting around for four, five, six hours, maybe even a day, watching Smith and Labuschagne and Warner and all these guys pile them on. And I actually don't think number six suited Cameron Green because... As I mentioned earlier, his best cricket for WA has been batting at four. And I can guarantee there would have been a number of those innings where he got 150-plus for WA where he wasn't coming out after three or four hours. He was coming in in the first session facing a new ball and fresh bowlers. So I think he's got the game for it. Uh, it's just whether the you know the Australian hierarchy think that uh, he's a better option than the other three. And if they do go down the path of picking one of the other three, then you know that's, that's fine as well because they've been playing that role. Um, it's just whether, you know, who it's subjective around who they think is is the best person to fill that role. I reckon you've changed my mind. That's the best argument I've heard, the great examples you've used, and I'd forgotten about your very good self. Uh, exactly the great example of that and Watson as well. So I've, I've changed my mind. You've convinced me. Kat, we can't wait to hear your Boxing Day test. Thanks so much for jumping on after catching the red eye. Greatly appreciate it. My pleasure. I'm not saying I'm right with this, but <laughs> it's, just, it's just a perspective that I've thought about and, and you never know. Who knows what they'll do, but uh, yeah, we'll see.